0: Almost as good as my students in school. I've, I've gotten to the habit where if they're a little bit, just a little bit beyond that level where I need them to be to get their attention back into the classroom, I stand in front of the classroom and I just go, and you know, they stop. It's the one thing I can get them to do. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of it, but it does work. We, uh, we started the series on the Holy Spirit back in July and Pastor Dick laid out a desire almost a vision for our church in the way he put it. I'm quoting from his sermon where he declared, I want us to be a community of Jesus lovers who live abundantly, who give abundantly, who love abundantly, who worship passionately, fellowship joyously, taking God's revealed word voraciously, and who pursue the presence of the river in our lives like our lives depend on it because it just might. Now, that's a great vision it helps us to, to know that we're, we're taking this somewhere. This isn't just some series that we're randomly throwing some ideas together and saying, okay, this is good, take it home. And you no, know, This is something that we want to be able to work with and apply in our lives. And, and so the messages that have followed uh, have been you know, all also saying, you know, here's what we know about the Spirit, here's what we live about the Spirit, here's what we understand, here's what we'd li- where we'd like to go. And we continue to do that, and it gives us some sort of practical application. Um, Dick talked about the Holy Spirit, symbolizing it as a river, and he referenced Ezekiel, where the, the Ezekiel says everything will live where the river goes, and he confirmed it in the New Testament later in Second Corinthians, where he said the Spirit gives life. So wherever the river goes, will be life, right? That's what follows. So we we started out there. I'm going to jump all the way to just last week. Eric spoke about practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit. He talked about how we want to practically apply the gift of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. And I like how when I when I was listening to this online, because I apologize I wasn't here last week, but uh, it was our 40th anniversary. We took the day off. <laughs> but I did listen to it online, and, and I do that a lot. Um, but Eric said, we want to practice the gift of the Holy Spirit, not gifts. Because there's a little bit of a difference in the way that we need to look at that. He explained that we believe and teach. He explained that we believe and teach that what Jesus has done in revealing the Father's will to us is summarized this way. What we believe, we then do. What we believe, we then do. So how do we know when our belief is in line with Scripture? Well, first of all, if if God confirms things in our hearts that we, he has placed in our minds, and we, we uh, give uh, the Scripture as evidence, as backup, as support, as authority in those things, then we know that we are doing well. We're doing the right thing. We're doing the things that we believe because we believe that the Word of God is true. And Eric urged us to remember that knowing that we do that, demands action on our part to do the very thing we believe. Does that make sense to you? Uh, I, I hope that's, I, I don't want to confuse anybody with that. So, continuing in the series of the fruit of the spirit. Bless you. Isn't this cute? You can't, you can't see every th- all the detail from there, but it's a series of little wooden trinkets <coughs> that are uh, attached together. It's a crafty little thing that Paulette made for my mom about 20 years ago, somewhere around there. It's uh, a bunch of canning jars, each one symbolically filled with a different uh, concept, and this one says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a visual representation of the fruit of the Spirit, as listed in Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can find items like these everywhere. Many Christian homes have some type of plaque, some kind of poster, some stitching, or some crafty thing that we that shows the fruit of the spirit we like to put little things like that in front of us so that it'll catch our eye and now again point us in back into the right direction when i pass by the one that we have hanging in our um in our living room well it's actually in the doorway uh and and you see the fruit of the spirit there i, I keep going by and i say lord put those in me lord put those in me lord put those in there It's just a little reminder. I don't sit and really contemplate and get into any deep thought on it at the moment, but the catching of the eye transmits it into the brain and God can take and transfer it to the heart. And that's why we use these little kinds of trinkets and things like that. So we use things like this to cause uh, meaning, to give meaning to the the trinket itself. We often uh, try to provoke ourselves to a deeper or more profound exploration of what we see visually. As, as I said, on, on the way out the door, I don't stop there. But if that's the last thing I see as I go out the door, I go through that doorway, and I see the fruits of the Spirit, and then I have a 45-minute drive to work, don't you think it's wise to contemplate on what I've seen? So, so those little visual cues can help us continue and extend the manifest presence of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives. So they're good things. We tend to take in so much information that sometimes we need something simple, something cutesy even, to refocus our attention, and that's because we're human. That's, that's what we do. We take in – there's such a big world around us. We have so many things that are going on in our lives that sometimes we just need a little bit of a focus. I've told you s- many times about the posters I have in my office and things like that. Those little reminders create big meaning, so I, n- I certainly don't discount them. And You could spend hours on Pinterest or almost anywhere on the internet and find all these little things that people are putting up, and everybody goes, oh, that's cute, and then they like it, you get 2,700 likes to a picture. I don't do that. Sometimes we use things like this to reinforce what we already know to be true, but we've not focused intently on the truth itself. Sometimes we trap ourselves into knowing the thing without knowing what to do with them. Most of us in here could could quote the scripture in Galatians 5.22 and rename the list. What do we do with them? What do we do with them? Today I want to bring understanding to the gifts themselves or the fruits themselves as a gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives, because it's freely given, and I want to talk a little bit about what we do with each one of these things, why they're important in our lives, why they are fruit of the Spirit, and what is the result of practicing them in our lives. I want us to understand what it means to be vessels with a purpose, to act on, And perhaps, as Eric likes to say, activate in others the fruit of the spirit that God has placed in our lives. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, that your word holds all truth. I thank you, Lord God, that you have uh, inspired your word into men, that we, ages later, can live righteously before you because of the truth you laid out to them. We thank you that this word is applicable, it is usable, it's something that we can grasp and take hold of. And I thank you, God, that you have given us manifold wisdom through the Holy Spirit to use this for your purpose, for your glory. I pray that you continue to lead us and guide us as we explore your word today, as we search out the scriptures and seek the power of the Holy Spirit to build in us that which we can do, understanding the fruit that you have placed in our lives. Be blessed and glorified, oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So when God purposefully identifies and separates qualities of virtue, you can be pretty well sure that he counts it quite important to think about them, to med- meditate on them and to study them, and to act on them. And although these were the words written by Paul uh, were written by Paul, they were inspired to him through the Holy Spirit. And who better is there to deliver the list of attributes that God wants to work into our lives and personalities than the Holy Spirit? And if that's the case, then every Christian should do the best he or she can to work with the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to work within them to get all of these fruits deeply rooted, deeply implanted into what we believe so we can then do what we believe. So let's take a look again at Galatians 5.22. In the English Standard Version of the Bible, we read the following, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, we've done enough of these little crafty trinkets over the years that it's easy for me to talk to my kids about them because they helped us make them half the time. Um But that last part of that sentence, against such there is no law, I have, in in counseling with my own children, I have told them many, many times, they'll come to me and say, Dad, what do we do about this? I don't know what to do. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is, and I start listing them off, and before I'm done, they're they're picking it up, right, because they know it that well, and then I stop them and I say, what's the rest of it? I don't remember. Against these things, there is no law. Now, that means no argument. Against the fruit of the Spirit, there is no argument. It is what it is, and it is the truth of God. So when they begin to apply that, they get a different perspective on those cutesy little words in a a list, and they can begin to look at that and say, this is the power of the Holy Spirit as it is given to me to be able to apply in this situation. I need to understand how to love, how to joy, how to peace. And notice I'm not saying have. We already have those. It's how to do them that we need to learn sometimes. Just prior to this list, Paul had given a list of negative attributes that exist in all human beings. He called that list of works the works of the flesh. Works of the flesh. So even though sin nature is inherent in us, we tend to work toward those negative things. That's the works of the flesh. But then he goes on, when he he lists these attributes, he doesn't call them works, he calls them fruit. Which is good, which is sweet, which is nourishing, so it's not negative, it's positive. So he doesn't say the works of the spirit, it's the fruit of the spirit. Fruit is a natural result of growth. And no human effort can produce that. We cannot produce spiritual fruit. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can. When he writes the word spirit in this verse, he wrote it with a capital S, and by this he indicates that the Holy Spirit is both the origin of the fruit and the source of the fruit and the recipient of the fruit and the actor of the fruit within our lives. They exist through and come from the Holy Spirit of God. This means that God's love, God's peace, God's patience, and all the others listed, exist because of and within him and his Holy Spirit, and that because they don't come from us who are of the flesh, they can be transmitted into our personality in the same way that we have been transmitted into salvation. This is another miracle of God where he takes a concept that is a virtue in his own existence, and he can implant that and transmit that into our lives, and we get the benefit of that both here on earth and in eternity. And then when he has downloaded those virtues, those things into our lives, he mixes it up with a little bit of faith. And as a result, he gives us something to do with them. Eric said last week, where we release what we have been given, heaven itself has the ability to invade in a situation or circumstance. And then he gave an example. If you have the peace of God, you can release that into people. If you have the peace of God, you can release that into people. Based on what I just said, this is God's peace. It's not the peace of God, by God, about God. It is God's peace. When I have God's peace within me, I can transmit that into the lives of others. There's the do. That's, that's doing what we believe. So the question comes up how do we do love joy peace etc. We're going to look at the attributes themselves and when they're resident in our lives we're going to reveal the evidence of the Holy Spirit which in turn will produce an outward activity so that we can do what we believe. At the end of 1 Corinthians 12 Paul had just closed his exposition on the gifts of the Holy um, and manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. He wrote to the church, I will show you a still more excellent way. In other words, everything that had gone before in the previous chapter where he's lifting out the gifts of the spirit and and there he lists the apostles and prophets and all of those those outworking manifestations. Then he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Can there be anything more excellent than excellent? According to Paul, there is. And then he went on in chapter 13 to show us the first of that most excellent way love we already know that this is first on the the list of the fruit i want to keep holding this up but it's kind of picture of canning jars okay perhaps it's first on the list cuz it's the most important and we already learned this In Matthew 22, 37, when the lawyer questioned Jesus in an attempt to test him, we read, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In John 13, Jesus told his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. See, in this passage, we get the mandate to love one another. We get the method, love as he loves us. And we get the manifest meaning of his presence in the, in the world. And when that happens, when the manifest presence of Jesus is within us through the Holy Spirit, then the world will look to him. They'll stop looking at us, begin to look to him because of our love as we demonstrate it by imitating him who loves them. Does that make sense? The English word love is a very broad meaning, but the, the Greek language is very precise The love which the Holy Spirit manifests in believers is agape. This is not a feeling, but a choice. It's the choice to be kind, the choice to sacrifice, the choice to consider one another's needs, to consider another's needs greater than one's own. In Philippians 2, we read, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my complete complete right complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others there's the do i love by looking to the interests of others. Dr. Charles Stanley, the founder of InTouch Ministries, wrote, love is the greatest gift God can give. God desires to show his perfect, selfless love to a world that is routinely confused about what true love is. God's children are the conduits of his love. That is, we are the channels where we can take God's love, which is over here, and we can channel that tr- through us, the conduit, as we are empowered by the Spirit. Without the Spirit, the, the power is not going to flow. So it's important to have that. That's why it's a fruit of the, of the Holy Spirit. The second fruit in Galatians 5 is joy. Joy is a natural reaction to the work and presence of God in our lives. Psalm 91 reads, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Well, that ends it right there. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. There's enough in there to last a lifetime on this earth. Our greatest reason to be joyful, though, is that God has saved us, and he wants to spend eternity with us. There's nothing better than this for us, and it fills us with joy. Isn't it a joy just to sit and bask in the presence of Almighty God? So in his presence, we can know the fullness of joy. The psalmist wrote, in uh, Psalm 16, we have, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy is a benefit to those who are the righteous of God. Again, in the Psalms, we read, Light dawns for the righteous and joy to the upright in heart. When we choose to value God's presence, God's work, God's promises to us, we yield to the Holy Spirit. And when we do, we're we're yielding to him who reveals to us more of the hope of God's grace. Paul wrote at one point that a man cannot even say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that's the beginning of it. But once it's revealed to us, then it becomes magnified. And we can see more of it, and we are filled with more joy, and it just grows exponentially. According to Romans 15, verse 13, May the hope of God fill you with all joy. And I love how they keep putting that word all every time they say this. All joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Joy brings us to a place where we can hope. So we joy by receiving the Spirit, allowing him to infill us, indwell within us, and then to exhibit his manifest presence through us, and we get to experience that thrilling joy of being in his presence. When we do that, we can implant it or activate it, or impart it to others. That's doing joy. You can do joy. The next fruit in the li- list of attributes is peace. Only God can create peace through the work of the Holy Spirit, especially the peace that is mentioned here, the peace of harmonious relationship with God, because God can lead us to, pe- to want peace with him. Only he can do that. I can't say within myself, I want to have peace with you, God. He's the one who draws me to himself, and he says, I want you to desire peace with me. And when we do that, then our lives are reconciled to him, and we constantly live before him in a way that manifests his presence and the power of the Holy Spirit so that peace rules in our lives, the peace of God, God's peace rules in our lives. Once we believe, once the Spirit has drawn us, we believe in Jesus and the peace comes. Romans chapter 5 says, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Philippians, this is also illustrated, the Lord is at hand. Here's where the peace becomes applicable. Do not be anxious about anything. Do any of you deal with that anxiety? We all do at different measures at different times. And, and we can employ, we can implement, we can activate the peace of God in those times. It's not something we have to work up. It's already there. It's already there. You don't have to seek peace. You already have it. In ev- but uh, in everything in prayer, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in your hearts, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. To the worldly mind, such peace is incomprehensible. But to us, we have the source. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it becomes something that is, that is truly active in our lives. We can do peace by recognizing that it is resonant within us by recognizing that the peace of God passes our understanding. When that happens, we don't have to be anxious because we're not going to figure it out anyway. That's what the peace of God is for. That's why it's there. Spirit-filled Christians possess a peace that is abundant, available in every situation, and unlike anything that the world has to offer. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world do I give to you. Let your heart, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. That's doing peace. Don't allow your heart to run away with with anxiety. When you begin to feel anxious and you begin to feel overwhelmed, let the peace of God, let. He says that, let the peace of God. Let not your hearts. Neither let them be afraid. So He's. Take the choice to accept his peace and allow him to to bring his peace. And when you do that, you live in peace. And you can transmit that into your relationships. The next attribute of the Holy Spirit is patience. We kind of joke around and say, never pray for patience, right? And everybody's, you know, nodding, chuckling. So we understand what we say that... Sarcastically, never pray for patience because God's going to give it to you, and then you have to go through situations. But that's the the nature of growth. We do not grow if we aren't challenged. The trick is how do we get through it? There are two different Greek words for Greek roots for the word patience. The first is to give a sense of bearing up under a burden, so we can be patient by enduring. The second is self restraint. We can be patient is as in to choose. Uh, to choose to hold our temper. So if we give in to the temptation to retaliate to someone, we're not exhibiting peace. That's why we turn the other cheek. That's demonstrating patience. That's doing patience. And it does more than just settle the issue for us. It shows the one who is against us that we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us, and it makes them want to desire that because they're not at peace or else they wouldn't be against us. Both meanings require a choice on the part of the believer. James wrote about patience when he wrote to the persecuted church Christians in the early church. He instructed them, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We lose patience, we demonstrate weakness. We're patient uh, out of hope for situations of a coming deliverance. So, so we have patience and we can exhibit that through the hope that we have in Christ. And we are patient to, toward difficult people out of compassion for them and for the necessity of holiness and integrity before God. So we do that. We do peace, patience, I'm sorry. In the Old Testament, God instructed Moses to exercise patience right alongside the fulfilling of the second commandment that Jesus gave, Matthew 22. The origination came from Leviticus 19, where it reads, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. Paul echoed this in Romans. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So patience is something we choose to implement. We choose to implement. We choose to activate peace for the sake of peace and for the glory of God. The sake of peace in our lives and the glory of God to those where we exhibit patience. God is patient. And his spirit produces the fruit of patience in us. When we are patient, we leave room for God to work in our hearts and in our relationships. When we are impatient, we have closed out the opportunity for God to work. When we are patient, we lay down our schedule and we trust in God's schedule. We let God be God. And then we can imitate him. Then we, too, can do peace. Patience, I'm sorry. Still keep flipping those two back and forth. Patience. Another fruit of the Holy Spirit that God wants to implant into our lives is kindness. The word means tender concern or compassion. It was God's kindness that led him to provide salvation for us. Titus 3, verses 4 and 5, reads as follows. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, when the goodness and loving kindness appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and newal, renewal of the Holy Spirit. So God's tender kindness towards us makes him want to gather us to him under the protection of his wings, so that we can, according to the Psalms, dwell in the shelter of the Most High and abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It is God's kindness, as we see it as one of the fruits of the Spirit, that makes him want to. It's his kindness towards us that makes him want to take us in and hold us close to himself. We read in Mark Uh, chapter 6, that when he, that is Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. He was moved towards them, moved with compassion towards them, a kindness, a tenderness, a concern, and that compassion led him to act, and so he taught. When we demonstrate the kindness of God, we demonstrate caring for others, helpfulness to others. To keep this attitude of kindness towards friends and loved ones is one thing, but to do it for those who are against us requires the intervention of the Holy Spirit. That's why kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Goodness is the next virtue that the Holy Spirit wants to implant in our lives in order for us to do what we believe. The dictionary defines goodness as moral excellence, generosity, the best part or essence of anything. And interestingly enough, the dictionary, the worldly dictionary actually says it is a uh, euphemism for God. When people say thank goodness, they're actually saying thank God. Christians know this because the Bible tells us in Psalm 34 that we are to taste and see that the Lord is good. And again, in Psalm 100, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. See, we know God is good. They sense that God is good, but the world doesn't know that God is good. We're to bring that to them. How do we do that? We exhibit it. We do it. We act kindly. We have compassion. We move for their sake. Goodness w- can be explained as virtue and holiness in action. It is for the benefit of others, not simply for the sake of being virtuous. I want to be good because good is going to benefit someone else, not because it's going to make me feel good. I have nothing relative except the goodness of God that I can compare my goodness to his goodness, and you know what? That's never going to measure up. That's the opposite ends of the spectrum from humanity to God and goodness. But when I take the goodness that God gives me and I, I transmit that into the lives of others, then the goodness of God is spread abroad. We do goodness by giving time, skills, resources to the poor or whoever may need them. We can even do goodness by confronting someone in sin because it is good to help them. Our aim, our goal when we do that is to see them restored to God's measure of goodness in their lives. But we don't engender, we don't create, we don't make, we don't manufacture goodness on our own. The Bible tells us in James 1, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So it is God, it is the Holy Spirit that, that shows us what goodness is and points to someone and says, go, do goodness to that person. Do goodness. By living in the fruit of the Spirit, we are blessed with the fruit of goodness, which according to Matthew allows us then to, to give glory to our Father in heaven. Goodness is followed by faithfulness on the list. Although I think, technically speaking, having spent a lot of time just this (coughs) week, and especially in in, um, thinking about meditating on these things, I think the order is not particularly set. I think they're all interchangeable. With, with the understanding that love covers all of them, because that's where Jesus started, first and greatest commandment. And I give you a new commandment, to love, to love, to love. Without the love of God, without the love of the Holy Spirit, nothing else of, of these will work. That's why it's first. But these all follow in, you have to list them somehow. So when we talk about faithfulness, we immediately imply the concept of relationship. All the fruit of the Spirit so far can be operating in our lives without real any real relationship with anyone. I mean, I can love God and sense the love of God, and I can, I can uh, exhibit peace and practice peace, and, and those kinds of things. They're more of a, of a self, not specifically, but generally I can do that without getting too involved in other people's lives. But faithfulness... Forces me to consider a relationship. Because I, how can I be faithful to myself? It doesn't work. But I can be faithful to another. So uh, faithfulness implies relationship. It is demonstrated by constancy, by steadfastness, by allegiance. Now we have to consider to whom are we to be faithful? For whom? Are we remaining constant? To whom do we pledge our allegiance? Faithfulness requires the action of belief, and our first and foremost belief must be placed in God's faithfulness, that relationship to us. In Hebrews 11, verse 5 says, whoever would draw near to God must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith, or a faithful commitment to God, and to who God says he is, is essential to be able to walk with him like Enoch did. In Genesis 5, we read the story of Enoch, and it closes out very quickly. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You see, Enoch's life, his constant devotion to live God, earned him the right to bypass death and it transmitted him from life in this world directly into the presence of the God whom he served so faithfully. Constancy, consistency, faithfulness. All of these were evident in Enoch's life. God saw it and rewarded him by saying, you don't have to pass through that door. Just come home. And he was not. Because he didn't live like the rest of mankind, so he did not leave the world by death as they did. He was not found. God translated him. Faithfulness is believing what God says in the Bible and not what the world tells us and not what our own eyes tell us. Paul wrote in Second Corinthians, we walk by faith, not by sight. This we cannot do without the power and help of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that makes us remain steadfast and trusting, to a God that we can't see. It's hard enough to trust people whom we do see. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to trust him who we can't see. The eighth fruit of the Spirit in the list is gentleness. It is the character that that shows calmness, personal care and tenderness and the love of God. It involves humility and thankfulness towards God and polite restrained behavior towards others. God wants us to be concerned with how gently we think, act, or talk. God has all the power of the universe, yet he is gentle with us, and he wants us to be like him. Then when he gives us power, he will know that we won't use it rashly or cruelly. Being gentle doesn't mean that we have to uh, compromise our beliefs, but it does imply that we should be wise and loving in expressing those beliefs. God shows tough, tough love and teaches lessons, hard lessons, to humans, all the while being the very definition of gentleness. Gentleness is the virtue that restrains the passion of anger. Gentleness is the virtue that restrains the passion of anger. Solomon wrote, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I have actually used that in school, too. Solomon wrote, oh, I just did that. Uh, in order to be truly gentle, one must be strong. Only strong people can be gentle because gentleness restrains strength by love. Jesus knew who he was. He knew that he, within him, dwelt all the power. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt, de, dwelt in Christ. But, he was, but uh, he was gentle and humble. And then so he was a contrast to the people of power today who often think of themselves as above the requirements of virtue and justice. Gentleness, we follow Jesus through gentleness because he was gentle. He's our model. We need to be ready to do whatever is good. Slander no one, be peaceable, be considerate, show true, humble gentleness toward everyone. It includes the idea of springing to help those in need, yet our own feelings are kept under control. And the last virtue that's listed in Galatians is self-control. It involves moderation, constraint, and the ability to say no to those baser instincts and lusts of the flesh. One of the proofs of God's working in our lives is the ability to control our own thoughts, to control our own words and our own actions. Believers need self-control because the outside world and internal forces still attack. Paul wrote about this in Romans. Chapter 7, verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law and the God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul recognized very well the necessity of self-control. He wrote about bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Since thoughts lead to actions, this includes controlling ourselves completely, despite the pulls of temptation. In order to pay the penalty for our sins, Jesus had to live a sinless life. This required constant self-control with the help of God. Even when he was tempted by the devil, who offered him the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, Jesus remained in control. You can read that in Luke chapter 4. Paul wrote to Titus about self-control and how Christians ought to live. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Self-control is a gift that frees us. It frees us to enjoy the benefits of a healthy body. It frees us to rest in the security of good stewardship. It frees us from a guilty conscience. Self-control restricts the indulgence of our foolish desires, and we find the liberty to love and to live as we were meant to. If we exercise self-control by faith in Christ's superior power and pleasure, Christ will get the glory. We read in Matthew 7, when Jesus was teaching to his disciples not to follow the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders, he said this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by uh, their fruits. Apply that to this list in Galatians 5. You will recognize them by their fruits. We want people to know us by the fruits in our lives, too. But more than that, we want people to look to Jesus because of the fruit of the Spirit that's exhibited in our lives, as we give him more and more of our lives. We want to be healthy, good trees that produce healthy, good fruit. If you recall the law of, I I think it's the law of multiplicity that Dick talks about, one kernel of corn planted in the ground reveals how many new seeds remember that a single seed carries within it the capacity to produce exponentially after its own kind we should apply that concept to the fruit of the holy spirit we should allow the seed of the single seed of the fruit of the holy spirit in the knowing as well as in the applying so that when we do that the world will see innumerable uncountable exhibitions and demonstrations of what Jesus, living for Jesus, really looks like.